Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. We are back for a brand new season of the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. It is so great to have you and look out for a whole new roster of incredible guests that will blow your mind, inspire your path, and surely get you doing differently. Today, I am thrilled to share with you one of those gems, Dr. Paul Kay, who has been designing workshops on the practical application of spiritual principles worldwide for decades. He has remained a dedicated student of spiritual thought and the practices of Tai Chi Chuan, Zen, yoga, and the spiritual foundations of movement and the martial arts. His explorations have led him to the importance of sound as a profoundly effective way to bring us into stillness, calm, balance, harmony, healing, and attunement with the divine. Paul has studied with renowned educator and author, John Roger, for nearly 50 years and is now president of the Church of the Movement of Spiritual Inner Awareness, an ecumenical, non-denominational church founded by Dr. John Roger. Paul is also an ordained minister, has a doctorate in spiritual science, and has co-authored with John Roger a number of books, including Living the Spiritual Principles of Health and Well-Being, Momentum, Letting Love Lead, What's It Like Being You?, Living Life as Your True Self, and The Rest of Your Life, Finding Repose in the Beloved. On this episode, I give Paul the floor to impart his many pearls of wisdom around the subject of soul awareness, coming into attunement with our beloved nature and just what that looks like, a deeper inquiry into stillness as a dynamic state of being, the metaphor of the yin-yang, understanding the still point in creation, and a lot more unanticipated nuggets really worth tuning in for. And at the end of this sharing, he offers a really beautiful meditation to support you on expanding into your oneness, your loving, so that you can feel more free now. As always, I hope these talks serve your heart and your journey in this life well and that you may take this information and pass it on to someone else who could use it to uplift their life. Enjoy. Okay. Thanks for coming on the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. It's great to have you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes, always. So I thought I'd begin by talking about something you said in a meditation I listened to a while back, and it really anchored me um, in a deeper awareness that I live with and I share often with others. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but you said essentially our issues in our life can be solved actually quite simply by just allowing ourselves to come back into alignment with our belovedness. So my question to you 
is what does coming into alignment with one's belovedness look like to you? And what can you offer to someone listening who feels so removed from any sense or accessibility to what that is in their current state? When I um, think of the beloved, which I do often, this is a, a divine presence that is with, with all of us. In one sense, we can look at ourselves as, as having a beloved or that the beloved is, is with us. And um, the Sufis would say that that would be a duality, right? There's the lover and the beloved. So that's a duality. But if we want to come into oneness, then we eventually must recognize that we are the beloved. And a nice way that I like, and I sometimes will start um, my retreats, I do urban retreats um, in Los Angeles, a one or two day retreats. Um, and people <clears throat> are coming in for the first time, they, they just looked up retreats online. And um, they just showed up because they were just looking for a, a day retreat somewhere that's in the city. And they'll just show up. So I have people from all areas of life. And um, I'll mention the beloved. And I'll say that this is a divine, a spiritual presence. And that the key here is the words or in the spelling, be loved. Mm -hmm. Be loved. And that is a statement of receiving. So everyone, you know, listening to this can just really have that experience now because it's not something we have to uh, chase after or, or grasp. Um, we just have to receive. Mm -hmm. And I think it's difficult for most people to accept that they are loved because we have so many conditions around that. And um, because we primarily live in a conditional world, we're trained in a conditional world. If we do good behavior, we'll get good rewards. Mm -hmm. um, or if we do bad behavior these days, looking at the news, if we do bad behavior, we'll get good rewards. But in, in either way, we're being conditioned into a, a mode. So um, an unconditional consciousness is very difficult for us to get our, our heads around. But this presence that I'm calling the, uh, the beloved, not I'm calling it, that has been called the beloved by my own spiritual teacher, John Roger, and particularly in the, um, the Sufi world, um, well, you hear it a lot in the poetry, for example, of, of, of Rumi, to name a, a pretty popular uh, Persian poet, um, that um, this, this presence is with us and accessible and is unconditional and loves us as we are. And we can then receive that love. And that requires an openness and a willingness to let go of our identification with this world in many ways. And by that, I mean the world of 
not only of things, but of our own emotional problems, for want of a better word, or situations, our own mental situations, our own unconscious drives. Um, so we're very, very, very identified and attached to. And so many therapies and approaches and meditations are all about letting go of that identification. Um, but it doesn't have to be, and of course, most of them speak about a journey as well, but it doesn't have to be a journey. A journey means that we go from one place to the other, but this is here. There's no journey. It's present. And so can we open ourselves to that and open ourselves to being loved? So the idea is that when we enter into that or when that enters into us, and we allow it to enter in fully, then there are no problems in that state. It just it it doesn't exist. It, it, it just doesn't exist. Yeah. So it's only when we kind of thrust out into the world. Now, a metaphor that comes to mind is is the hurricane, and a hurricane is a um, very violent wind right a very violent storm it's circular and it kind of pretty much destroys everything in its path and um, it's very violent causes a lot of damage but in the center of that uh, hurricane is what's called the eye which is a very still point so you have this tremendous violence moving around this place of, uh, of, of relative stillness. Now, what's interesting is that the hurricane can't get into that eye. It has to go around it. So um, it can't enter that eye. Uh, for very scientific physics reasons, it can't do that. This is, this, that's, not that's not metaphorical. But what is metaphorical is that we can be in the eye uh, ourselves, which is that still center point within us and the hurricane can move around us most of us are entering into the hurricane and that's when we get into trouble because we we want to solve the hurricane but a lot of the times it's swirling and there's there's no solution to it it's just moving around and uh, we can get caught up in it and or we can ride it and have a little bit of success but it will always be caught up in it but stillness the eye is is always there now, eventually, of course, the hurricane dissipates. But when the hurricane dissipates, the, the eye remains. And if we can get that idea, then that kind of deepens it. But then we can go to the third phase. So the first phase is that we can become the eye, right? This still point, this point of um, rest in a way. In, in, in the eye of the hurricane. Second point is that when the, the hurricane disappears or dissipates, the eye remains. And the third point is, does the hurricane form the eye? Mm. And, or does the eye form the hurricane? Mm. And, 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 and uh, that would be something that um, people can figure out for themselves. So, um, Coming back to this idea of the belovedness, though, if we can be in the eye of the hurricane, if we can really rest in this divine presence that loves us unconditionally and holds us, then um, 
then I, then our problems will go away. Um, there's a song that I play on my meditations by a group called The Clan, C-L-A-N-N. And um, in this song, um, it's the idea of being held. You know, the song is talking about, I'm going to hold you, rest in me. And I looked at this, and it could be a love song, I don't even know. But I looked at it as, oh, this is the beloved talking to us. Mm. Rest in my arms. And then the refrain in the song is, breathe through me. Breathe through me. And I thought that that was so beautiful that I played all the time. Just breathe through me. So that as we're being held in this divine presence, this belovedness uh, from the quote, um, then just breathe through me. And it's almost like you're just breathing through this divine presence. It's quite poetic and uh, and beautiful and profound. And um, so that's that's my very long answer to your question. Oh, that's beautiful. And it just makes my mind kind of roll with some things. Like I think of a quote from J.R., John Roger, who said, God is closer to you than even you're breathing in and breathing out, than even your breath. So just to be in that state of asking to breathe me is coming into that presence of just knowing or at least allowing yourself to potentially experience that God, this presence, this belovedness is closer to you than even your physical inhalation, your respiration. And I think of, because I know you've been practicing Tai Chi for a long time, um, as you're talking about the eye, is the eye, my mind thinks of the curved line in the center of the yin-yang symbol, which is the middle path, would you say? Um, is that the same as the eye, the still point? No, and not, okay. not, it could be, it could okay. be. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, negate your metaphor if that works for you or anybody else that's that just where my mind's going you know um no the still point would be more um just the the the, the center of any anything really um i mean one of the great poets uh, t.s Eliot, said um the still point you know there the dance is Mm-hmm. There is only the dance, and it's almost as if there's just like we, if we enter the stillness for something to be still, there has to be something that's not still. But stillness to me is a um, uh, almost like an activity in some ways. It's not a um, a passive state. So um, if you looked at a, sp- a rapidly spinning top, a very rapidly spinning top, um, it it looks still. It's only when it begins to wobble. Do you um, do you see that it's um, out of balance? But when the, the when the top is perfectly spinning, it's it's still, and that to me is really mo- what what more stillness is like. It's this it's this point of uh, a balance that's that's kind of almost like rapidly vibrating, but at such a a high refined rate that it's um, 
it comes across as uh, as a stillness, but it's a, a very uh, a, a dynamic stillness, for want of a better word. In terms of the yin yang symbol, you bring up a very good point. That's a, a another metaphor that we can use. The um, I think everybody's familiar with the yin yin yang signal, and of course the the S as you described it um, between the uh, black segment and the white segments and of course the white segment has a black spot in it and the black segment has a white spot in it um, um the yin yang thing the, the, the what interests me about that is about that s that you spoke about is the point at which they meet because we tend to think about about it in um in big terms like yang at its extreme starts to move into yin Yin at its extreme starts to move into to yang. So you've always got this kind of balancing of forces. And, and indeed, the, this is to me a, a lovely way of describing the culture that we're currently in. So um, you know, this, this idea of um yin-yang. So this idea, I think, in, in where we are in our in our current culture is um this extremes we're going to extremes again and those extremes have to turn around they have to you just have to wait for them to turn around in the meantime is to find balance but what's interesting is actually where yin and yang intersect that is to me an in-between place and um it's almost like if you looked at it as a as a skin I mean, if, if you put your hand up, you don't have to do this now, but if we were together, you know, in person, you put your hand out and I put my hand out, we would, we would touch, right? And as we would touch, we would feel that we're together in a way and that we're one, but, but we'd, we're not. And so we could even say that we were merging, mm-hmm. but we're not because we still have that skin between us. But in that skin, something magical is taking place that's kind of different than here. And then suddenly as that comes together, in a sense, that's when that merger takes place. Now, energetically, you could make a case that this would be coming together too. I do understand that. But just in in, in terms of uh, what we're looking at here, that this comes together. Now, if we can enter into that place of connection and merger there, we can find a lot of peace. So in that sense, I would say that it would be... Um, relating to the eye, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, I love that. Well, let's change gears a little bit and talk a bit about this idea of giving and receiving or service. And there's this concept, which some, I guess, would may call a truth, that the highest form of expressing oneself in the world is through service. Why do you think we are so conditioned in our culture to get rather than to give? Well, I think I think it's um, a survival instinct, really. Mm-hmm. And um, that survival instinct can continue unless it's refined in some kind of uh, with some kind of uh, spiritual awareness. Yeah. So, um, Otherwise, it becomes a very, um, you know, a very animalistic kind of uh, consciousness, and, and we see a lot of that now. We're yeah. seeing it's very um, this fighting. Um, I think one of 
one of the things I deal with, even in spiritually aware people that I find, is, is insecurity. And um, when I'm dealing with an insecure person, um, it's sometimes difficult to, to give them feedback. And I'm talking not just walking into street down the street and giving people feedback. I'm talking about in a, a work situation um, where you know, a person perhaps isn't doing their job to the optimum level, or maybe they are doing their job and they could even still use improvement. Um, the first reaction I find, which is quite common, is defensiveness. Mm -hmm. now, this isn't a judgment. I mean, this is being human, right? I think all of us have experienced that, but that defensiveness, when there's no need to be defensive, no one's attacking, but there's no need to be defensive. Um, there's that area as well of blame. So it's just like immediately there's a, a blame element or, or a judgmental element. And so you see these as kind of, um, well, I think they're gen I'm not a psychologist, but I think they're generally called defense mechanisms, clearly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in many ways, you would say that they would be survival instincts. Or the other thing is for the person to actually go on the attack. And that's another kind of survival defense mechanism or whatever. Yeah. So there's this um, basic, uh, basic insecurity. And it's the same thing as uh, receiving. We talked about, um, you know, we started out by talking about receiving. Um, hard for necessarily people just to let go enough, be open enough to, to receive because we're constantly thrust out into this, uh, this world. Um, and so, um, yes, uh, but, the, but there's lots of stories of people serving and giving. The problem is they don't get much press. If you uh, look at the news, I, I, I was an avid newsreader. And I've stopped a lot. I, I, there are news sources that I get, but they're um, they're not negative news sources. Uh, they report the news, but they don't report it in a negative way. Uh, even news sources like uh, the BBC, which I used to trust a lot, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, um, just have such a, a negative skew on things. And um, and and I, I unsubscribed from the LA Times, and and they asked me why. Uh, and I wrote, because you're just constantly putting things down. I, I don't really see any stories where you're actually lifting people and they're putting down certain institutions. And I pointed out, I was very specific about it. And and um, I don't have an agenda on it. I just was like, why? Why There's some, there's some good stories. There are people doing good works. I mean, you know, yes, there's bad police. We know that. But there's also very good police. I, I know some of the police force. I'm not in law enforcement, but um, in the neighborhood, they're really are good people that really have good things in mind. But those they're never reported. It's always the bad news. So all of that, you know, we have to understand that that's the way that the world is skewed towards negativity. And we lap it up, you know, horror movies and, and yes. crime movies. And one of the big, big... Um, genres um is um true crime true crime um is, is just very very big on met lots of people on true crime and horrific stories and they just get into all of these and, and i've got good friends who are into true crime i i mean i honestly just don't understand it i mean why would you want to fill your your brain with that so um 
but they're my friends. I'm close to them. So it's just like, okay, I mean, I guess we all have, uh, you know, violent games, you know, shooting games and all of those things. So all, everything, it's a long answer again to your question. All of those things thrust us out and don't allow space. However, underneath that, there's lots of people who recognize this and this are geared towards serving, towards helping. Now, uh, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, talks about his mother saying, you know, in any crisis, look for the helpers, look for the helpers. And, and um, this is, a, a, I used to say, you know, there's what makes this world work are the silent saints. Mm -hmm. Silent saints are those people who are giving, who are helping. They're not getting any recognition. They just go about their business. But underlying all of this upset and everything, they, are, in a sense, are, are sustaining this um, this bad news and all of these other things that are going on where people are taking and grabbing they're busy giving and and loving and helping and assisting and mm -hmm. that's what making the, that's what's making the difference in the world so um i think it's difficult because we're we're geared and in answer to your question we're conditioned towards needing to get and um and it takes a spiritual perspective, even though a person may not look at that as a spiritual perspective, but I would to reverse that and say, you know, I have enough, I'm fulfilled, I'm loved. And even if my parents didn't love me, I know that God loves me. I know that I'm the beloved and out of that fullness, I can give. And so that's what they do. And so, um, and so can we as well. Mm -hmm. Well said, Paul. There's a lot of things that I could pull from what you just shared, but I guess to complete that thought on serving and giving, I'll read an excerpt from this lovely book that you co-wrote with John Rogers, Serving and Giving Gateways to Higher Consciousness. And I'm just going to read this and have you comment on it if you feel called to, because I think it's worth noting this idea of, um, how we are here to serve each other and, and to serve as a form of sacrifice. I think of it biblically um, because, you know, I think of seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? And his righteousness and our willingness to sacrifice or to give fully is an indicator or reflection, I would say, of our devotion to the divine or to God or whatever you want to call it the provider, the creator. But I'm just going to read this to you and uh, have you comment. And you say, along with John Roger, of course, everyone must be willing to sacrifice. Do you know what sacrifice means? The first part of the word sacrifice means holy. From that perspective, sacrifice no longer goes into suffering. Sacrifice goes into holiness into peace, into calmness, and the real willingness to give to others. We will actually sacrifice our time and give it to others. That's service. We are here to serve each other. When we get married, we often just serve that one other person, but let's do that fully and in a consciousness of loving. 
The same principle applies when we raise and serve a family. Get your priorities lined up in the correct order. The highest order of priorities is the human life. We have to trust that it is going to work out right. We don't close our eyes. We don't go stupid and say, I'll leave it to the light. We are the light. We keep watching. And when we see it not working, we do something. So we have to reach into a place inside that goes past the feeling of, I can't serve. I don't know what it is you feel you can't do because there is always something that anyone can do. And I just love this passage because I feel that it exemplifies the depths of what service really is or can be. Yeah, no, it's really beautiful. Um, the book, um, although I'm, I'm there as a co-author, probably would be better to say the curator of it. There were some books that I co-authored with JR that I had a substantial uh, kind of participation in. Yeah. But in this particular book, um, I, I think, um, you know, we can just attribute all of that to, to John Roger, because I was more curating all his works on, on service. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yes, it's, uh, you know, quite, quite beautiful. And um, I think that um, one has to be careful sometimes with, with words. Um, culturally, it's, it's very different. I just did a, a class called the Romantic Warrior. I just finished it last night. It was an eight, eight week class. And it really was a, a uh, class on character and values. But uh, I didn't want to call it character and values because nobody would have taken a class on character and values <laughs> uh, because it sounds such an old-fashioned idea. And yet the, when you really unpack it, it's very profound and very, very practical. It would be the same thing about discipline. You use the word discipline, just like character, and it kind of has, it sounds like you're, your mum and dad or your school teacher or whatever mm -hmm. say so more discipline and, and none of us like really hearing that um and um so sacrifice kind of to me falls into that category and and i'm glad that it was clarified it's not necessarily suffering right. and in, in many ways i look at it as uh, uh sacred mm -hmm. in some ways to 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 make to make sacred mm -hmm. um, and if we can go back into that initial question you had about our belovedness the when we was in the quote you know i am the light if we can identify with us being the light or if we can identify with ourselves as being the beloved it's not an ego statement but more of a way of being mm -hmm. when we're in that way of being then every act can become a sacramental act. And so um, I, I do uh, tea events, for example. I'm very, very big on tea and the serving of tea and um, presenting tea and uh, tea ceremonies and um, tea as a meditative experience. And, and, and I'm always drinking tea. It's just like drinking tea. Um, <laughs> And um, tea slows you down. Tea makes you conscious. I mean, we talk about mindfulness, or I don't talk about mindfulness, but it's spoken about in our culture now. It's kind of entered 
at the modern lexicon, you know, mindfulness. But really, it's just uh, this, just having that presence. So that when we're doing something, we're with what we're doing. We're not split off into something else. And I've noticed with tea, if I'm not present with tea, something happens. I'll tip over a glass or a piece of teaware or something will fall down or I'll spill, I'll spill the tea or the tea leaves or something. There'll be something that will be just dropping. And it's just like, it's almost like the tea is, is, is telling me, Hey, you know, pay attention, <laughs> right. be present. So, so it's taught me to really take my time over things. And so when I'm doing that, then what's the use of that? Well, then I can do that with everything. I can do it when I'm logging onto my computer instead of, you know, just going crazy or, you know, breaking my teeth, you know, just having all of this tension. It can be done in a way that's um, very, very um, slow and loving and conscious and pleasurable. So that even washing the dishes as a sacramental act, as an act of sacredness, as a, the time that I'm giving to it. So then the sacrifice of my time to wash the dishes or to sweep the floors or to, to do whatever it is becomes this sacred act that becomes a pleasure. And consequently, we then can take that into the world. And then we can smile at the person when we're having our walk around the neighborhood or smile at the person when we walk into our office or, or whatever, or our spouse or our children or anybody we can then be with them as a sacramental act. So everything, in a sense, becomes a, a sacred act as we are coming from that connection with that belovedness, which is what we started out with. It becomes the center of our being. So I'm not being motivated from, as you spoke about early, earlier on, about this need to grab and to get. It's just like I'm, I'm being identified with the belovedness which is secure and full. And then as I act from that, then everything seems to have a, 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 a sacred quality to it. Mm -hmm. So service then becomes, becomes a pleasure from that. The other thing is that because of the connection, I'm full and then I give of the fullness. Some people, or another way of saying that is give of the overflow. So I'm I'm full and I have more to give. So I'm just giving of, of, of the overflow. Um, what some people do is, first of all, they hoard the overflow. So they become very stuck in their in themselves. They can be very wealthy, but they can, they can be stuck. The wealth, yes. in a sense, they're imprisoned by it because the energy is not flowing. They're just in, you know, it's just like overeating and all of that. So, um, but the, um, the, the other side of that is that if a person is giving and they're giving and they're giving and they're not ref refilling or renewing themselves, then they run dry. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, the only result of that can be resentment. And that's really the, um, the thing there. So I always encourage people, look, Make sure you take care of yourself. Yes, serve, but renew so that you're always giving of your overflow. Really come from this fullness inside. And, and, that's, um, and that's why caregivers need to take care of themselves. And caregivers, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times they run themselves dry and then suddenly they're sick and then somebody has to take care of them. And then the person they were taking care of, I mean, it becomes yes. kind of negative cycle. 
um, downward cycle rather than an upward cycle of like, you know, I'm taking care of myself, I'm giving to you. And because now I'm giving to you, you're filling yourself so you can give. So we have this other uh, other dynamic going on, which is an upward spiral. Yes, well said. Um, I think of the values and yoga, the currents. So we've got the prana, the apana, udiana, and it's like, we we need all those spirals for lack of a better term, spinning, moving, expressing itself. And we don't have that prana. There's a lot of tamasic energy. There's a lot of downward current and we, we blow out our, our circuits, so to speak. So it's like healers need healers too. Givers need to make sure that they're in that balance of receiving, take care of yourself first, right? So you can take care of others, all that good stuff. Um, I want to circle back in a moment to something you said, uh, which I think is worth kind of going into for a moment, how this world is skewed towards negativity. But on talking about overflow, it brought me to another quote from yet another book that you uh, curated, (laughs) as you might say, um, living the spiritual principles of abundance and prosperity. So I'll just pull from another lovely quote that I, I really adore and have you comment on it. Um, it actually comes from the book, The Rest of Your Life by John Roger and with you, Paul Kay. And it goes like this. Uh, the challenge for you on this planet is simple. Do not ask, do not want, do not desire out of lack. Because by doing that, you are doubting the existence of God who can grow the trees and the flowers and who can certainly take care of you. If you simply affirm God's existence saying, I am open, I am receiving, you will find that greater things will come to you. If you can go further by saying, thank you, beloved, or Barush Beishen, which means the blessings already are, you will be awakening to even greater blessings of spirit. So I'd love to have you, of course, extrapolate on this and how one can transcend these negative patterns of lack in their life. And also personally, what's coming forward to me is that I see that the divine has given us this great body, this vehicle to um, bring things into creation. In other words, our mouth is a vehicle to declare our own creation as the geniuses that we are, as the powerful co-creators that we are. So speak blessings into your life rather than speak the expectation of annihilation or destruction or negativity or lack. So I pass the baton to you, Paul, on all that. Well, I think the the big um, antidote to, to many things in life is is gratitude mm. and um so john Bodger spoke about this really from the big from the beginning of my studies with uh, with him which has been going on now about uh, 50 years or so so uh, over 50 years when i first became aware of him and, and back in the in the 70s it was it was a fairly radical concept 
along with forgiveness and, and other ideas that he brought forward. Um, they weren't new in themselves, I may add. I mean, other people, other teachers brought them forward. But in terms of the Western world and bringing them into the mainstream, I think John Roger was very instrumental. Now, of course, gratitude is um, is very mainstream, extremely mainstream. Um, I remember, you know, looking at Oprah's magazine, O, O magazine, and you started to really see some very deep spiritual concepts written in a very accessible style. They weren't very uh, deep in a sense, but they were still bringing meditation and those areas into the mainstream. Well, in terms of gratitude, we've seen a lot of uh, research on gratitude. And I think, um, I know his last name is Emmons, E-M-M-O-N-S. I think maybe Richard Emmons, but I may be wrong on his first name. Um, and he's written some tremendous books and done a lot of research on gratitude. And I think it was him that came up with the idea that before you go to bed at night, write down five things that you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. Exercise that has proven itself to be enormously valuable in people's fulfillment, their happiness, their um, their um, health. Mm -hmm. Just that. And, um, and, and so I think just that key alone really is enough to really get help people through moments of, of distress and despair. And um, sometimes, you know, you go, well, what's there to be grateful for? And, you know, like being in a horrendous situation. And, and John Roger helped me with that in a quote of his where he said, well, just sometimes, sometimes you just have to be grateful it isn't worse. And, and that kind of is always like, you know, okay, yeah, I guess you can always be grateful. It always isn't worse. Meister Eckhart, the great, uh, the great Christian uh, mystic, said that perhaps thank you is the only prayer we need to say. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, you say, well, thank you is, is a prayer. And so you have in these words, thank you, this idea of gratitude, just a tremendous profundity and a tremendous tool for all of us all of us to have and a lot of people may just say well i don't feel grateful but um you know it's just sometimes you just have to say thank you just thank mm -hmm. you anyway and just say thank you and just say thank you and you just say thank you throughout the day sometimes it's almost like there was a a book uh, by Kaval Ravikant, again, Ravikant is his first name, Kaval may be his first, uh, first name. Um, love yourself as if your life depended on it. Ah, yes. And he, and he basically said, I love myself. And he just repeated to himself, I love myself, I love myself. Throughout the day, that's all he said, I love myself. I love you brushing your teeth, I love myself, I love myself. You're doing your email, I love myself. I love. He just, just did it. And did it whether it, it didn't matter whether he believed it or not. Yeah, it, it makes was, me think about uh, we you were saying earlier about uh, even people that are on a spiritual path or spiritually inclined or aware have a great deal of spiritual awareness, and yet they can run or have this curriculum, for lack of a better term, of insecurity. And I think, like as a biofield healer, having done thousands of these. I see this pattern, the most common thing I see, which is astonishing to me as like sort of like a data point is worthiness, unworthiness. Like why 
why is there so much unworthiness? Well, I didn't think my mom wanted me to be born. I didn't, I don't feel worthy of love. I don't feel worthy of receiving abundance. I don't feel worthy of being healthy. I don't feel worthy of attracting a good guy or a good woman or, and it's, it kind of is in that under that same umbrella, maybe the insecurity is born out of that unworthiness. Do you believe we can live heaven on earth? Which I feel, I know what you're going to say, but for the purposes of this podcast, do you believe we can live heaven on earth? And is there a difference between living heaven on earth and living in utopia? I'm kind of setting you up for something I'd like to read as well, but I'd love to hear what you have to say first. Well, I, I, again, I think um, one has to look at what one means by what's heaven on earth and what's yes. utopia. And, and indeed, you know, what is the golden age or the new age? Um, if we're looking for outer evidence of that, um, certainly when you read the news, you wouldn't, Think that there's any kind of utopia or, or, or any kind of hope for humanity, really. And, and um, however, sometimes uh, in the classes I do, I'll play some videos and uh, along the lines of Planet Earth or um, in some of the BBC series, and, and along with music, these beautiful images of nature and flowers and rivers and mountains and streams and eagles flying and dolphins moving and uh, and um, birds and um, you know, just gorgeous, gorgeous imagery, <clears throat> animals of all kinds, tigers, um, lions, zebras, I mean, just whatever. And and you're just literally, it just brings you to tears of the, the beauty of the world. Yes. And and just like, oh, my goodness. And, and then, of course, you're sad. And, of course, you know, then you go, well, wait a minute, we're just destroying all of this. And then, and then that gets you into another cycle. But it, but but in those moments of like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. And although I live in a very urban environment, um, there's moments when you go for, a, when I'll go for a walk in the neighborhood, very concrete, very flat, very uninteresting, trafficy, And then there'll be, a neighbor's garden and they have right now beautiful poppies in California gone poppy crazy yeah. or there'll be a plant or a flower or something that will all emerge and then you just see all of that beauty in that flower um there's not many trees around but there's a few but outside of a window in fact outside of our, our own house it is actually our tree is a, a deer door Deodar cedar tree. A deodar cedar tree actually comes from the Himalayas originally and is oh, wow. considered a, a sacred tree. Its um, its sap is is uh, is a healing uh, is, a, is a healing remedy actually. Um, and 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 it's about sixty foot tall, eighty foot tall. I don't know, and it's huge. And within each branch is almost its own ecosystem. Mm. so um it's it's huge and beautiful so when i'm looking out as i am now i'm just seeing this beautiful deodar cedar tree so i just say when i'm looking at that i could just say to you like when i'm looking out there i feel like i'm in heaven mm -hmm. so in that sense it's heaven on earth but when i <laughs> don't look at that and i look at all the uh the urban the, the urban blight i go well that doesn't feel like heaven to me so uh, so where is heaven located and i think that we can um I think we can really um, say without 
question that um, the heaven that we're looking for, the golden age we're looking for is inside of us. Mm-hmm. And that's present. So yes, can we have heaven on earth? Absolutely. Are we Again, it's not a journey. Heaven on earth is present and it's found in our own belovedness. And we can be in there and reside in there while we walk through this world and there'll be times where um, we'll see awfulness, things we don't like, and we can still be in our belovedness because it's an unconditional quality, so we don't judge it. And there'll be times where we'll see <clears throat> the flight of an eagle or a crane. In my case, I love cranes, or I love also um, dragonflies, cheetahs. I mean, these are my favorite kind of animals that the, the viscerally I respond to. And then you just, you see them and your, your heart lights up and you just, there's a resonance between this inner heaven and then this outer vibration. And then you can just say that there's a match. And at that point, we feel expanded and, and, and uh, it kind of matches up and that becomes beautiful. Or just a, a beautiful person or a look from someone you love or even a stranger. Sometimes you can exchange a glance and... Um, there's a knowing or connection. And those are the moments when it's almost like the, the outer resonance kind of matches or meets the inner heaven. And then you have this, this beautiful merging of things. Yeah, I think of soul gazing, where yeah. people don't really take the time to really look at one another. And when we do an exercise or someone's in a workshop and we take a moment to just look into another person's eyes, it's not uncommon that the whole room's filled with tears because it's automatically, to most, I would imagine, at least in my experience, a a heart cleanser, a heart opener, because we're all looking for the same thing, which is that beloved connection. And we see it, we see that face of God in another's face through their eyes. And it's that easy, but yet we bypass it with whatever <laughs> yeah i mean yes i mean it but it, it's good to know that it's available to us yes a lot of us are, are very distracted and and i think part of the, the the problem or the challenge or whatever you want to call it of the age we're in is that the distractions are exponential mm-hmm and, you know, if you go back 100 years or so, and it really is only 100 years or so, I mean, it's not very long when the electric light bulb was invented. At that point, we could stay out, stay up beyond the usual rhythms of life. So that kind of gave us a distracting ability. I guess we could have a candle read by candlelight, but the electric light bulb made everything very, very convenient. Mm-hmm. Then we had course you know radio television and now we have the internet and now we have i mean it's just a, it's so rapid and now we have the our iphones that are, are pinging all day and texting and now we have social media um and um and what all of that means for us is this constant busyness and distraction and then it creates an addiction so that when we can't um can't access it we actually get hungry for it just like we would get hungry for for anything um, 
sugar, for example, which we we kind of hinted at, you know, beforehand, um, and um, it becomes addictive and it constantly thrusting us out into outside of ourselves. So then we're constantly looking for that fulfillment outside of ourselves. And now this isn't new. I mean, this is talked about in the Vedas. Um, right. Just, uh, well, how, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And I mean, it's it's not new in kind of hum, humanity, but I think it's just kind of exponential in its ubiquity in terms yeah. of all of us are really being um, thrust into this outer focus. Now, when I do an urban retreat, which I did on Friday, do one once once a month um i'll have everybody part of the thing is everybody gives up their cell phones for the day or two days whatever it is i, I give them an emergency number i said look if your family needs to get a hold of you they can yeah. it's not like you need to worry about but we actually take their phones from them and 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 their uh, watches they don't have a, an idea of time so um you know we just do everything through gongs and things like that and um the relief on everybody's face is just amazing. Mm -hmm. It's like, thank God, you know, because it's almost like that, even though they don't want to be, I mean, it's almost like you have to make them give it up because uh, they, uh, it's, they can't do it themselves. Yes. This whole idea of a technological sabbatical or sorry, a technology Sabbath Mm -hmm. spent one day a week without technology has kind of entered entered the culture in some ways, but I don't think it's too popular because everybody is very addicted. So when you ask like, well, what's the problem with this? Why aren't we entering our belovedness? Because we're too, too many distractions outside of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brings me to this little quote here that kind of circles us back to that idea of the difference, if you will, between heaven on earth, this idea of coming into that connection that you're talking about, that feeling, that oneness, that inner manness, and uh, opposed to this utopia, this idea of trying to seek utopia. And I just pull for again from this this lovely book, Serving and Giving, Gateways to Higher Consciousness. And it says, if you are looking at life as fulfilling your sensual needs, and you want to walk through life with a sense of entitlement with everyone serving you, that's utopia. Utopia does not exist here. It cannot exist here. Utopia is a crippling process. As soon as you want it, it's delivered. That's called hell because you get everything you want. Cell phones all the time. After a while, you've got so much of everything, you don't know what it is you want. And now it's called boring. (laughs) I just adore that. Well, I mean, sometimes, you know, a a person, adversity uh, Mm -hmm. introduces a person to themselves. True. And, and, you know, that's when we get to know. Um, And, you know, we don't... um, we don't go strong by sitting on a couch. <laughs> right. um, you know, we we go strong by, let's say, lifting weights, using that metaphor, uh, which is a reality. So, and and we and um, in order to lift weights, we, we need that weight, which is a resistance that we have to then kind of struggle with. Right? We have to. It's, it's something that we have to push against. Something that's pushing against us, and that that is really 
building our strength or our musculature. And, mm-hmm. and so um, there's other ways of doing it. I'm not a bodybuilder or anything like that, but that that's a good metaphor to, to kind of just say, sometimes we need to push against something, but if we don't have that thing that's pushing us, then we grow flaccid and we don't, we don't get strong and, and, and grow. So yes, so when everything is provided for us and all of that, then that can create um, analysis paralysis. Yeah, a, a dissipation in our mental faculties and um, I mean, just everything really emotionally and, and physically. Now, I'm not a big one on, you know, just seeking out suffering or adversity or anything. But if we're going to live in this world, we are going to find ourselves meeting challenges, whatever they are. And, um, and, and just we need to look at those as uh, an opportunity to grow stronger. It's not, nothing is, and from that perspective, there's nothing that's against us. There's everything is, is, is for us. Mm-hmm. Um, the world is uh, not conspiring against us, but the world is conspiring to, to bring us growth and openness and bring us into um, take us home really, which is, which is the beloved. But for that to happen, we have to almost be disillusioned with the world. But as long as the world is feeding us and giving us everything we want, as long as that continues, then we're going to be thrust out thinking that that's where our fulfillment lies. But eventually it doesn't. People usually find themselves on a spiritual path um, a lot of the time when they're getting divorced. Yes. Something breaks down, all their hopes and dreams, or when they have uh, experienced ill health, or um, a career that collapses, or finances that go bad, because uh, suddenly it's just like everything that I was seeking, that I thought was going to make me happy, that I thought was right, has collapsed, and there has to be something else, and there's no, there's no foundation at that point. The, mm-hmm. the money, the relationship, the career... The health was the foundation. And so uh, when we take a spiritual approach, although it can be airy-fairy in a way, it's actually solid ground in many ways. And, and you know, if you just reverse it, and that's where that's where we find, you know, and it's sometimes called the uh, uh, our ground of being. Mm. Well, that might lead me into the next question. And again, you may have answered this in some regard earlier, but to your point, what what does it mean to you, Paul, to have the awareness of you as soul? I think we've kind of touched on it in many ways. I mean, in the metaphor of the eye of the hurricane, you know, we just said when the hurricane dissipates the soul the center the eye remains and so when we say the eye remains where does it remain we can go back to some of the mystical poets again who use the metaphor of of the wave and it's like is a wave separate from the ocean and so we know that the wave appears, it has form. We can just say, well, that's a big wave, that's a small wave, that's a bothy wave. I mean, it has a form. We can identify it, you know. And um, But then it goes back into the ocean. So is it a separate form or, or not? And that becomes, and, and um, 
uh, Kabir, the great mystic, uh, Indian mystic Kabir, said that, you know, many people say that the, the drop merges with the ocean. But what people don't know is that the ocean merges with the drop. Mm-hmm. And, and so, again, that belovedness. So really, to me, it's the part of us that is never, ever separate even though it may take a form. And we said as well with the hurricane, so when the hurricane disappears, the eye becomes part of the sky. We look at the spiritual sky. So then we say, well, then does the hurricane form the eye or does the eye form the hurricane? And so in the spiritual sky, we may just say, you know, well, this is kind of, I'm I'm the spiritual sky, I'm one with all things, and um, there's a oneness. Uh, I, you know, I want to have a little bit of experience. So we form a hurricane, and then we enter into the world, and we think that we are the hurricane, and that's part of it. We forget that we're the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and that eye, the hurricane is eventually going to dissipate. We're all going to die, and then, but the eye remains. So that's my answer to your question. Beautiful. Oh. What would you say, if you um, can recall here, what was your first experience with what we might call divine presence? I think probably as a a young child, I was raised in the Jewish religion, and there was always that closeness to God or spirit or that other thing. Eventually, the the Jewish religion didn't satisfy my my spiritual yearnings, although I was very, very happy with with it culturally. I mean, it had a very strong family foundation. And, you know, I had a good sense of humor. There were some very, very good aspects to it. And um, I'm very, very happy with it. Uh, An emphasis on education and those kind of things. but it didn't it didn't satisfy my my spiritual yearnings so i think that um this idea of like what it, what a kind of a quality of yearning i would say that desire for wholeness for unity for merging with something much greater and knowing that that's there but just wondering how we can grasp it. And I think that desire for another person or for things or for wealth, money, all of those things are, are really just a misplaced yearning. Uh, everybody's spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote uh, another curation of mine, The Tao of Spirit. It doesn't have my name on it because I just took John Rogers words that to me related to Lao Tzu, the Taoist approach. And I think the first chapter, I mean, the chapters are like the uh, Tao Te Ching, very, very brief pieces, almost poetry, really. But it just um, it just starts off by saying, you know, like everybody's spiritual. And um, the expressions I'm not saying it as well as it's said, but the idea is like we'll, we'll, we'll look at a person's behavior 
and say that's not spiritual and it's like well that's their expression Mm -hmm. that's not who they are but who they are is spiritual and everybody is spiritual so it's just i think everybody has that in them everybody has that yearning for love and you can you can reduce everything to just saying that love is all you know i mean it's been said billions of times right in spiritual literature even uh, and the beatles love is all there is you know and uh, all there is is love and um so um and and that's true love is all i mean everything comes back down to 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 love um but that isn't necessarily helpful to anybody who's going through a hard time you don't just say well love is all all there is is love i mean it's not particularly helpful so you kind of you need to break things down a little bit and find a way in but ultimately they come to a place of of loving i i, I did a sufi event about um a few weeks ago at our center peace awareness labyrinth and, and gardens in the in the heart of los angeles and um it was the iranian uh, new year and so um uh, an iranian young lady had approached me and wanted to do an event and it didn't particularly interest me i wasn't familiar with the iranian iranian or iranian culture so but i said look you know uh, what we could do is something sufi well i was amazed at how many iranians came from nowhere to attend this event in which mm-hmm. i read sufi poetry i had a musician playing a daf which is a, a circular drum with uh, with rings metal rings in the inside which creates a tremendously percussive wonderful sound and i played video excerpts about some of it about how to how to turn how to whirl you know we, we see that although we didn't do that we didn't have time for that and also sufi music and poetry and and all of that but i was able to say at the beginning of that uh, that session i said look i'm not a sufi uh, for me to be an authentic sufi i would have to be a muslim because uh, sufism comes out of islam I said, uh, but I am Sufi. I said, I'm Sufi, I'm Christian, I'm a Jew, I'm just everything. And um, and so it got a good laugh, I'm glad to say. Um, people saw the humor and the truth of it in many ways, because I think we're, we're, we're all that. But I said, the evening, the reason I can do this evening is because the, the teachings of John Roger were about love. Mm-hmm. And, and the teachings of the Sufi saints, the Sufi teachers are about love. It's all about love. That's what it is. It's about love and communion or union with with the divine. That's what it is. And and just and and so I think we we, we all desire that, and it's all available to us. And so it's just like it's like, but can we give up our worldly identity? And the answer is like, and apparently not a lot of people can do that, but it is possible and it's possible for everybody listening to this. And, um, but there has to be a, a, a willingness and that becomes somewhat scary for people. I mean, it really does. And I understand it. It's not a judgment. I mean, it's scary. It's just like, okay, just, we're not willing to, to make ourselves that vulnerable. And, and, and they talk about the annihilation of the self. Yeah, and I just think, well, that's just you being in your ego involvement and your familiarity with that ego involvement where you'd rather, or you may feel that you're losing, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, some aspect of your identity 
if you let go of your pain or you let go of your story or you let go of that which is familiar that is actually very much the absence of loving in your experience but yet you're more comfortable in that state of familiarity again i think of the clashes where that would be that that uh poison that we've entered into that creates or just perpetuates more suffering the um easier said than done yes we can we can we can all identify and say well it's just my ego and stuff and ego is not bad i mean we need right. an ego we need right. we, we definitely need an ego to to function but we don't need it in the, the we don't need it as excessively as we do and um but uh, again, it's hard to give up. You know, you can say a person will just meditate. But a lot of people, people say like meditation is a solution, but a lot of people can't sit still. True. And a lot of people have very difficulty with their minds just racing, which, yeah. which can be part of meditation. They don't understand that that, 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 that is okay. But um, it's hard for people to sit still. And again, this addictiveness towards the world. So that's why it's such an interesting um approach and spirituality is this um, infinite uh, expansiveness outwardly and inwardly both inwardly and outwardly it's there's an inflow and an outflow to it and and it's um as long as i've been involved in it i just feel like i've just uh, scratched the surface yes uh, and and um but even scratching the surface is 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 very fulfilling but i know that there's a lot more depth to it. Yes. That I can that I can plummet. And I'm glad of that. It's continually interesting and every day presents new opportunities to expand in love, essentially. Well, to that, would you like to do a brief meditation on maybe helping people expand into love? Um, sure. Beautiful. I leave it to you. Yeah, we can just begin by we can close our eyes or keep our eyes open. I mean, it's not necessary. The the reason that we well, probably more accurately, close our eyelids. We don't want to close our eyes, but close our eyelids. Um, but mainly, the reason to do that is just to eliminate the distractions of the outer world. But there's nothing wrong with opening the eyes, and um, the idea here is just to become aware of the rising and the falling of the breath. And sometimes as soon as one says that, we try to interfere with it. Our conscious mind just starts to try and control the breath, which is fascinating and a, a very, very profound exercise in itself. In fact, you know, a lot of Buddhist meditation is just based on the breath alone. And so this idea of just allowing the breath, and some people start a meditation by saying, everybody take a deep breath. But really, if we're going to relax, we want to actually exhale, let go of the breath. And then instead of taking a breath, Receive the breath.
and then let go of no longer receiving it. So, as you probably can feel already, just doing this simple thing in the few seconds we've done it really shifts the energy of the space that you're in. Now, we can put ourselves in a, a vortex of, uh, of energy by just simply tuning to the light. Now, this could be the light of God, the light of the Holy Spirit, the light of the divine, or just the light, the highest and purest and holiest light from the highest and purest and holiest source. That's what we're talking about. And that light we can tune to, much like we would tune in to a radio station. The radio station is in the room. The classical music is playing. We bring in the radio, we dial it in, and the music is there. It didn't come in with the radio. The radio is just a tuning instrument. Us human beings are tuning instruments with the capacity to tune into any vibration, any frequency. And so we just tune into the light that is present. And that light, that station is one of the highest, the purest, the holiest light from the highest, holiest and purest source. And we ask, this is the tuning in process, we ask that that light surround and fill each one of us and the space that we are in for the highest good. And so you may feel the quality then of the room shifts again, and there's a more now refined quality in the room. Uh, in the space that you're in. And again, we can just return to that, receiving the breath and just letting go. What's fascinating is to notice that between each breath is a space as we exhale. And again, we're not forcing it, we're just letting the breath leave. Before the breath turns into an inhale, there's a pause, very short pause. And as we inhale, before the breath turns into an exhale, there's another pause. And if you have your eyes closed, you can enter into that space, the space between the exhale and the inhale, the space between the inhale and the exhale. Now, in this peaceful place, I think you can feel how peaceful things have become here, again, in a very short time. And this is something you can do at any time during the day, take a minute break or a two-minute break for yourself. Um, we want to get in touch with um, a deeper presence now, presence that we call the beloved. And this beloved presence is within us and in us, but it also almost can feel that it, it holds us. So we can be feel that we're actually being held 
by this beloved presence. Now, as I'm saying this, some of you, again, if you have your eyes closed, may start to see a color start to appear in your inner vision. But just feel yourself being held by this presence. And we call it the beloved. And so, beloved, the word is be loved. Allow yourself, just as you received the breath and just as you are receiving the breath, allow yourself to receive the love. You don't have to do anything. This is not a doing action. It's a doing nothing action because you are being loved. You are being breathed. You can touch your hand on your heart if you like, and just to bring your awareness back into your body or both hands over your heart. And just remind yourself of your heart center and your presence. And again, just ask for this holy light, this holy love, this holy breath to be present with you or for you to be present with it as you go about your day or the rest of your day. And know that you can always come from this place at any time and bring this into your relationships, into your work, into your chores. And your chores then become a pleasure. They don't become chores anymore. You don't say, I've got to do this. You say, I get to do this. There's an enthusiasm because you're in touch with who you truly are. This beloved presence, this beloved breath, you are being given everything. And now just receive for the highest good. We end a meditation by saying Beirush Beishan, a Hebraic and uh, Jewish words that break, excuse me, in Sufi words, that mean the blessings already are. Blessing is here, just like the music playing in the room, classical, rock, country. Allow yourself to tune in to the blessing that you wish for yourself. Ask that you receive it and embody it for your highest good. And let it fill your being, yourselves, your energy. And again, Beirush Beishan. Thank you, Paul Kay. That was exquisite. And just before we go, I'll have all your information in the show notes. But would you like to leave any information about where people can find you and anything coming up that you'd like to share? Well, a lot of the events that I do are on uh, peacelabyrinth.com. 
www.ethicsofcreativity.org. That's the center that I work out of. We have a labyrinth and you can visit it and walk the labyrinth. Uh, but if you look at the events section of that uh, website, you'll see a lot of the events that I do, the retreats, the online meditations and talks. Um, I do on Mondays and Thursdays. They're, they're free of charge. You're welcome just to jump on. They're on Zoom. It's a lot of fun to be together. Play a lot of gorgeous music and uh and it can be a wonderful thing. There's a class that I'm starting on Tai Chi um, that can be found elsewhere. Um, you can go to Paul K, P-A-U-L-K-A-Y-E dot A-R-T dot art. And if you just click on that, you'll just see a lot of what I'm doing. Um, kind of titled it a, a way of being. Or you can just email me. Anybody can email me. My name, Paul K at M-S-I-A dot O-R-G. Um, and I also have a website at Gmail, constantly exhale love at gmail.com. And um, constantly exhale love. We can end with that um, Rumi quote, for your pain will give rise to more pain until your eyes can constantly exhale love mm. as effortlessly as your body yields its scent mm. so sweet thank you paul k for coming on and sharing with us your wisdom and your presence and your belovedness i'm so okay. grateful thank you diane god bless you and god bless all all your listeners Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.